Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's US Open Round 3 catch-up. Serena Williams' final farewell ends at the hands of Alia Tomjanovic. Cam Norrie is the last Brit standing. And Petra Kvitova saves two match points to reach Round 4. Chris, today is the 4th of September and we are here to catch up on round three at the US Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. Our set of round four ties is complete on the men and women's singles draws. We are very, very close to heading into week two and we've had some superb matches to get us there. We've had some epic final set tie breaks. We have, of course, had Serena Williams being sent into retirement by Alia Tomjanovic. And we also got the matchup we all wanted. Tommy Paul, Casper Ruud, Hollywood Beckons, Paul Rudd. I absolutely loved it. I was telling you this and I feel like you've only just realised the the significance of that match. Mm. I had no idea on WhatsApp. I saw a picture of Paul Rudd and I had no idea why. <laughs> and then I saw how it was written and I thought, still don't get it. Still really confused by this. And I wasn't interested in that match before. I knew this and I'm probably still not interested in it afterwards. (laughs) I thought it was going to be the match that maybe it could have broken like the tennis universe. I thought maybe Paul Rudd could have got involved. It could have got got bigger than maybe it could have. But maybe next time. Uh, Yeah, I want this match and I want want Paul Rudd in in the crowd watching it. Maybe it's the thumbnail for this week's update. Just Paul (laughs) Rudd. (laughs) Paul Rudd, exactly. But let's let's put that aside for now because we do have serious business to get on with and we have to of course start with Serena Williams mm. day five night session we had Serena Williams versus Alia Tomjanovic both unseeded Alia Tomjanovic coming through in three sets five seven seven six six one of course all the emphasis on Serena Williams and the fact that this well what looks like to be her final match in her career what did you make of this? Because this was, as I said, three sets. I think this was Serena Williams' longest ever match at the US Open. And personally for me, this was a match that I look back on and think, from a performance point of view, she played great. And I think she could have very well have got that done in straight sets. I completely agree. I was actually um, out and then I saw that the match was was live and I cycled home as quickly as I could to catch a live Serena match before potentially <laughs> what could be the end. So um, I was fully invested. I think it was like 3am mm. or something here when I was watching. But it was a fantastic match to watch and to see Serena playing like that um, before her retirement was something pretty special. Uh, is it kind of saddening that she was up 5-3 in the first set, couldn't get it done, up 5-2 in the second? And I think she put it really it well It felt herself. like a funeral on Ash. 
when Tom Janovich kind of switched the momentum. No, 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 no funeral, but only celebrating. <laughs> I think that's what someone said that in um in the US people congratulate you on your retirement. And in the mm. UK they're like, oh no, what are you gonna mm. do next? So I think um yeah, it was I was really shocked, and you should never be shocked at how well Serena plays, but how well she moved, some of the shot making she went for I couldn't believe that she'd only played six matches this year, given how she was playing. And and she said, if I'd only picked up a racket sooner and started practicing, um, who knows what I could have done. And I think she's completely right. If she'd have picked up a racket, you know, a couple of months before, um, maybe at the time when she left Patrick Mortoglu waiting on the court for her, um, she would have she would have been making those shots because we've talked about it on the last podcast that it is rust. It is those moments where you haven't been serving out many sets in that sort of situation. Um and it's how you, you take on those big moments. And it took a lot out of her, that, that tie break and getting through that mm. second set. Yeah. And I think it showed it in the third set that she not necessarily ran out of gas, but it's that uh, adrenaline. It's hard to, to maintain that throughout. But what a match. What a high quality match. I think there were over 80 winners, only a few more unforced errors. And over such a long period, I mean, it was just an incredible spectacle, but a sad way to go out when it could have gone the other way. I mean, both both players really played to a high standard. I, I would mm. say that was Tom Janovic's, you know, best best win of her career. The way that she handled Serena Williams, the way she handled the crowd, and how gracious she was in victory, and uh, it was really really impressive from her. And I think what was most impressive to me was that second set because the fact that she was so, you know, again she was I think what five two down in that second set. She could have very easily have let that go, and and yes, she did lose it in the end on on a tie break but i think if that if she had lost that set in a in a 6-2 kind of scoreline where it didn't feel as close i think going into that third set you know the momentum would have been a lot more with serena and and maybe mm. she would have been able to kind of carry it through to the end but the fact that she still kind of clawed it back made it interesting i think that it meant that obviously Serena had to put in more, you know, more eff- more effort, more exertion. But I also thought it, it got her thinking about actually, this is still going to be very competitive going into the, you know, into the third set. And ultimately, it was it was on Tom Janovic's racket. But I still think what was great was that that final period of play. What was it? Fifteen minutes, a fifteen minute game with six, uh, six Serena match Williams point taken, I think, or something yes. like that. Yeah. yeah. And Serena Williams just having all these match points against her and just coming up with incredible winners. Crowd absolutely loving it. It was to me like she was just going out in a in a blaze of glory. I agree. I think she did herself so proud this tournament. I think obviously it would have been good to get this one. Mm. Um, but beating the world number two. Uh, and I don't want to be ageist or bring this in, but factoring in kind of the fact that she is a little bit older and she hasn't played many matches. I mean... This kind of leads like, us to the question. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it was a prospect that no one was thinking that she would play at this level based on her performance in Cincinnati, for example. So I think she did a fantastic job. And I mean, I got goosebumps watching some of the shot making and seeing, you know, some of the passion that Serena had and just how much she loves to compete. And I think you see that in how she's talking about it is that she genuinely is frustrated that she hasn't... Um, that she wasn't able to to play earlier in the year because I think she thinks she's almost at the level where she needs to be for maybe hit that 24th. So I think that will make it even harder for her um, to walk away now. And it seems like that's 
added an extra dynamic to her that she thought, you know what, it's my time. And now she's like, oh, maybe Australia, I think she said. Do you think that this is this tournament has surprised her in in that sense? Because I get the feeling like if you're beating the world number two, then there's still a little bit left in the tank. And, you know, she hasn't completely shut the door to being at you know, the, you know potentially the Australian Open um you know next season but where do you see how this tournament puts her you know puts her because i felt like before it it was a firm kind of right this is my last tournament i'm going to evolve away whatever that may be but it's not going to be on a tennis court but i feel like what we've seen from serena this this tournament i feel like she may be thinking man with the the few matches i've played the little practice i've had and i've still been able to get to round three and give a really really good showing do you think maybe there's a part of her that is thinking "Ooh, maybe i said some things that um you know were a bit too bit too kind of black and white versus now where yeah maybe i'm thinking what else could i do i think it's definitely added that extra element to it. Um, in her post-match press conference, she said that during COVID, she really did appreciate the fact that she didn't have to get up and go to the gym every day. Um, she was able to like live her life and see what life is like when you do take tennis away. So I think it's a real um, sort of balance for her because she's seen what life could be like. She really wants to be a mum again. And I think that's the challenge that there's that side of her life, but there's also the Serena tennis player, um, more than a tennis player, Serena icon tennis player, uh, who's able to to put in these performances still. So she did say, uh, I always did love Australia in her press conference. And I think part of that <laughs> is Serena's sense of humor that she does that she does love to uh, mess is with she, her. Is she, is she already laying the groundwork for a wild card? I, I think she's, <laughs> I, I think she just doesn't want it to be like, it's easier to deal with if, if you're not mm. saying it's uh, never, like never say never is easier than this mm. is never, you know? Yeah. And I think it'll be a gradual I mean, why process Why do you think that is though? Why do you think it's so hard, particularly I think for these, these top, top players? I mean, I was reading an article about, um, you know, Tom Brady in, in the NFL and mm. how he announced his retirement, but is still, you know, playing. And, 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 and there are, I think, similar kind of parallels with, with Serena Williams in terms of, why do you think it's so hard for like elite level athletes who are at this, you know, goat status to to leave to leave the game? I think that they are genuinely addicted to it. Um, they live and breathe it. It is such mm. a part of them. And I think with most careers, for example, uh, you don't necessarily have that same feeling because it is such an adrenaline high every time you play, and it's more than problem solving. It's the physicality. It's the mental side of things. It's the traveling around the world it's, it's your whole lifestyle so I think it's something that when you are in that world it is your whole world so I can totally understand that and she is um, very competitive and it's something that that probably isn't quite there outside of what she does and she'll need to find another way to sort of fix that whereas I feel like when we talked about Ash Barty who was able to leave very like early on in her career in relative terms it was because she got a lot more fulfillment from kind of off the court than on the court. And I think Mm. this is kind of the opposite where Serena loves to be on that court and on the center stage. So you can never say never. And that's why I think she probably can't say, say never, but I'd say one final thing on on the Serena that I thought was just so beautiful when she was talking about it was that uh, without Venus, there would be no Serena. Um, And I just think that's such a, such a fantastic point that whenever we have a conversation about Serena, we really should, mentioned venus because 
it, it was a it was the, the the combination of the two that made each other so much better and that kind of paved the way for Serena. So um will we see her in Australia and will she step away? I think I think she will, but I think she's just teasing us. Do you think do you think we'll see uh, her? You think we'll see her on Rod on Rod Laver Arena? No, she's messing with us. I'm sure of it because I don't think oh, she wants to think? put in the, the off season. I'm not sure. I just think. I mean, I, just adding to all, all the things you've just said, I think also what you know what would tempt me as well is just how open what it feels like that you know the WTA tour is at the moment, particularly at the you know the Grand Slams. The fact that there is no. Ash Barty anymore at the top. Um, yes, of course, there's you know Igor Sviontek, but it does sometimes feel like you know the very much so that the rankings don't really mean as much. And as a result, you know Emma Raducanu kind of proved that you know last you know last season. And I think that openness for me again would tempt me to kind of be like, oh, could I you know turn up? Doesn't necessarily matter if I'm on a, on a wild card or, or or don't have a seeding because. It's just so open. There are just going to be these opportunities forming. And, you know, for Tom Janovic, this is going to, again, a big opportunity. I think she's got Sam Samsonovi next, um, who is playing some some great tennis on a good, you know, win streak herself. But again, yeah, it's just a big, for me, there's just like this big, op- these big openings that can happen very early on, particularly in the Grand Slams. And I feel like that could be part of Serena's decision making. But that will always be the case would be my sort of argument on that is that Mm. she could draw the number one seed. She could draw someone who's really in form as well. And I think this was her what if, you know, she was seeing how open tennis was. Mm. She came back in Wimbledon having not really been hitting for more than three weeks. She gave that a go. And now she's here without necessarily having the preparation or the ideal preparation that she would have hoped for and just had a good result. But this is kind of that that what if. And mm. I think we talked about on the last podcast that she's had a target on her back since like 98. And then even now, Tom Janovic said going into this, she didn't think that she'd win it and she could just play free tennis. So whoever she draws, that player will be playing their best level and bringing their best game to that match, even if she is the world number 605. So I think um, there's so many factors that I would, I personally, from the Serena perspective, would like to see her evolve away because you don't know what could happen. It could be the first match. She gets draws ego or so I'm not saying ego would be the person that yeah. would definitely beat her, but it's a lot to put in when I think she sees her future and what she wants to be more off the court than on the court. And it's not always a good idea, is it? Cause I think, I think we can look back now on, for example, Kim Kleister's, uh, you know, ah, come, that's come a great point. Tennis. And it didn't, didn't, I mean, she, she gave it a good go, but it didn't really, it didn't really work out for her. And, uh, you know, there, I think there is that, there is that trepidation, I feel, that... Um, it takes know. so much, doesn't it? It takes so yeah. much, and I think Kim found she's that out this time. She's had the perfect send-off. She's had the perfect oh, send-off it's here. been epic. It's been epic, and it's been everything she could have wanted and more, I hope. But there is a part of me that does sort of want to see her on a tennis court again, just so we don't have to just talk about Andy Murray and his retirement video at the Australian Open, everyone thinking that was the end, and then him coming back. And actually, we've got another, we would have another example with Serena Williams having... The uh, you know the tr- the glowing tribute um or, you know when she comes and walks oh out onto goodness. the court <laughs> and then it's like oh I hang think, on yeah. six months later oh yeah she's uh, she's down under the USTA have gone so big it makes me think maybe they <laughs> yeah, do want like, Serena must, to move retire. on you must evolve yeah. away now right yeah yeah you're evolving away and we are <laughs> going to the three thousandth sort of percent of send offs mm. I mean it's been 
mega and all the people who've been working on the content i must think well they, they can't do this again <laughs> like they've hired new staff to get some of these serena videos out <laughs> i mean i mean just before we move on to all the you know the other matches uh from from round three my last question is is going to be around serena and margaret court the margaret court record 24 grand slam singles titles what if if this is kind of serena's goodbye to goodbye to tennis what do you what do you feel about serena williams in relation to that record the fact that she hasn't achieved it you know she's been honest and said you know at moments she i think has has you know wanted it too much and she's thought about it too much and perhaps that has got in the way of of her performances particularly when she has been so close which has been on a on a number of occasions do you think that like her legacy will be defined by that or do you think that's just it's hard to compare the two because you know that was it was yes it was some of it was in the open era some of it wasn't whereas this is a lot more well 100% in the open era when it's you know been a lot more competitive professional only I think that it the actual the record with Margaret Court has been something that's really hindered Serena's ability to match Margaret Court and some of that media focus and I think that the crowd we aren't making those comparisons that's definitely something that the media has really hyped up. And she did want it. She obviously wanted that record. And that's why I think her tennis career has extended um, kind of beyond the maternity leave, potentially. I think, I don't I don't think it matters. Um, I think when you think about Steffi Graf, for example, and a lot of what I've seen online and in the press is that she won 22 majors over a 16-year period. And her last major, she reached the final. So she really bowed out when she was on top. And everyone has different careers. And Serena's obviously had a very long career. I mean, I think it's 25 years she's been on the tour. And if you look at the success people have and the period they have the success in, then we're looking at different uh, sort of success metrics anyway. So I don't think it does matter. I don't think it will tarnish her legacy because everyone is different and everyone's story is different. And Serena and Venus's story coming from Compton as complete outsiders in terms of kind of the tennis world and the way that they've changed the game. I think her legacy in that area speaks so much to everyone in a way that Margaret Courts could never. It's just a number. And I think for Serena, she's touched so many people's lives, inspired so many people um, across the board from women uh, to men, to tennis players, to athletes everywhere so for me I think her legacy is far beyond a number um, and I think that's the way that lots of people see it from in the fact that she inspired so many of us yeah I think that's a great point to end on and let's move on because there was <laughs> there were other tennis we could, I could talk about this all day all yes. day this is yeah <laughs> believe it or not there were other tennis were matches Didn't see uh, them. going on um, I mean in that in that night session uh, you know we had Daniel Medvedev come through against Wu in straight sets to set up a match that I think we all kind of earmarked on paper when the draw came out against Nick Kyrgios in round four. We also had Caroline Garcia take out Bianca Andrescu, uh, to me somewhat surprisingly, in a relatively comfortable fashion. 6-3, 6-2. I mean, Garcia is looking great. She's not dropped a set yet. Maybe the Andy Murray prophecy is going to come true, Chris, because... That's she, what I was thinking. He was 11-match winning streak. She has got all the momentum, all the confidence in the world at the moment. And uh, yeah, to take out Andrescu in 6-3-6-2, I was very, very impressed with that result. It's so impressive. And I think um, she seems so much more relaxed. She's just hitting the ball. The Renaissance is here. 
Um, she's mixing it up as well. But Kim isn't. Think... Kim is. Uh, Kim. Oh, listeners. Kim is in. Uh, Kim is on holiday in, in Kent somewhere. But um, I'm sure she is echoing echoing Chris's thoughts on on the radio. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll try and speak on behalf of Kim that this is Garcia's <laughs> year. But there's no pressure on her in case she does get mm. to the final. Um, but no, I think it's fantastic. And I think Kim said uh, the other day that you know how amazing it's been with this kind of going through in straight sets to the second week of a Grand Slam. Mm. So that's the first time she's done that in in, in straight sets form. Uh, I think it's been amazing. And I was going to ask the question, how important has has doubles been to her return to form? It feels like it's taken the pressure off her singles a bit as she's had some sort of great court time with Mladenovic. And after their French Open win, it feels like things started going up from there. What do you think? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think there's so many benefits for singles players to play to play doubles. I think we're seeing that with Coco Goff at the moment, uh, mm. Barbora Krejcikova as well. I do think it's it's one of those things. Emma Raducanu, um, you know, I, I get the feeling, you know, this this partnership at the moment with with Tursunov, There's been an, again a focus on on being in the doubles draws yes that hasn't necessarily led to kind of more you know more victories on this on the scale of someone like a, a Garcia or, or a Goff but um yeah I certainly think there are, are benefits there and just this just adds to it so um yeah it'll be interesting to see how she gets on she's got Alison Risk next so uh, she might do the double Joel she could yeah singles yeah. and doubles Potentially, you know, it's a very tricky thing to do, but I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't put it past her. I mean, looking back on the day session uh, from day five, you know, from British point of view, there was a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, mm. Well, I say mixed bag, it was a bit more negative than mixed bag. Both Jack Draper and Andy Murray uh, succumbing to their opponents. Jack Draper against Karen Kachinov. Well, to be honest, Jack Draper succumbing to Karen Kachinov and his body. And then we had Andy Murray bow out to Matteo Berrettini in four sets. I mean, let's start Let's start with Jack Draper because this was really, <laughs> this was really frustrating. Mm. Karen, I'm, I will be really brutally honest. If Jack Draper's body hadn't conked out on him, I think we would be talking about him being in, in round four. I don't think Karen Kachinov was playing... He wasn't playing good enough tennis for me to to win that match. And uh, I think he got a very lucky break that Draper, one set all, break up in the third. And yeah, I was thinking, oh, this is a very exciting moment for Draper. He's he's really, really announcing himself. But yeah, it was it was unfortunate. I think it was on a on a slide on a, on a hard court. I think he tweaked his hamstring. And from there, yeah, unfortunately, it, it led to a retirement. Yeah, I mean, I felt really bad for Jack. I think he'd played so well coming into this and I don't think he necessarily thought his body would be a problem. Um, but he did say that his body wasn't kind of ready to go really deep in this tournament. What he kind of found out that he's played a lot of tennis and he said, um, I think we all can remember his sort of debut in Miami. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> where he said he, he couldn't even last a set in 2021 no. um, when he played that one. So uh, I think that's, something where there's big improvements to take from it. And he said he's come such a long way that he can't get down on himself like now, which I think is completely fair. But on the catch and hold point, I just think that he's one of those players who has never gone above sort of mid, mid-level. mid um, He has the shot making, but I think it's all in his head and how much he wants it because he should be able to to be yeah. winning some of these sorts uh, of matches. He's been top 10. He has been top 10. Yeah. and But that happened like a few seasons ago now. With the Paris win, yeah. Um, mm. He never pushed on from that. And we see that quite no. a lot with players in that sort of age bracket where 
they have good tournaments and we see it on the WTA as well, but they don't necessarily string it together and string it together in the big mm. matches. He's had uh, some great results like at the Olympics and he had a good sort of, um, uh, he's, had, he's had some good results, but it's always been very up and down. And he's some of those players where if you hang in the match long enough, you'll think you've got a chance. Yeah, and definitely. that's something which um, doesn't help you in the long run. But for Jack, I think it's only positives and, I don't think he'll have a what if. I think he'll just be really pleased with the summer he's put together and, and where he is in the rankings. Yeah, because he will make his debut in the top 50. So that will be a silver lining for him. Yeah, I think it was. I think he was just caught in two minds. I think, you know, watching it, particularly in that third set, uh, you know, towards the end, I think it's like that tantalizing thought of, oh, I'm so close to round four. I'm up on my opponent versus, you know, prolonging, you know, your career and, and not doing any more damage than, than you already have done. So I think it was a smart move in the end to to retire when he did. But yeah, still frustrating. He's thinking the about time. the Davis Cup, Joel. He's thinking about the Davis saving Cup. Saving his body exactly. for the Davis Cup. He's saving himself for the Davis Cup. When he gets that call from Leon. <laughs> if yeah, if he gets at, that call. He's at his phone. I can just imagine him. He's just waiting at his phone at the moment, just waiting for that call. Up. Every ping, he's like, it's time. <laughs> well, one one uh, Brit who is in that Davis Cup squad, Andy Murray, went out to Matteo Berrettini in four sets. Berrettini winning 6-4, 6-4, 6-7, 6 What did you make of this one? Because... This was, uh, you know, I remember their match at Queen's where Berrettini just blasted his way past Murray in relatively comfortable fashion. And um, yeah, this was, uh, you know, obviously disappointing in the sense that ended in defeat for Murray. But I've got to say this match and and generally this tournament, I've been impressed by the level he has brought. And uh, he really, I think, had to make Berrettini work for his victory on Arthur Ashe. Yeah, I mean, I think we have slightly differing views on this. I think for me, it seemed like a relatively routine sort of third round match for someone like Berrettini. I didn't oh, think he, I didn't think it was that routine. The first set, I thought Berrettini did not play well at all. And mm. it was still enough to get that 6-4. Um, he was missing backhands that he shouldn't have missed off Andy's slice, which obviously it's a great slice. And on a court, like the courts in um, New York, that's it can be a, a pretty difficult shot to retrieve. But um, I think Berrettini can play better than he did play. And the final two sort of sets I thought were particularly competitive. But um, Murray said it. He just wasn't serving well enough. Um, no. You've got to get those cheap points. And yeah. I think it was something like um, like 40%, I think 42% of first serves um, in, in the first two sets. And mm. I just think it's, he's definitely playing top 40, maybe top 30 tennis at the moment. But these are the matches where you see him either going one of two ways. You've either got to win these ones consistently to get yourself in, in your ranking up and and he's not quite pushed on in that area. So it's great his body held up, but for me, it's not much to get excited mm. about. Oh, oh, brutal, brutal. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the opposite. I'm, I, you know, I, I, I don't think, I think it could have been routine, you know, for Berrettini, particularly that third set. I mean, Fat Murray, I think he saved eight out of eight break points. The fact he even made it to the tie break for me was uh, a small, a minor miracle. But it just shows again his sort of, his nature as a fighter and a believer. And um, it was to me, yeah, watching it on, on Friday evening was really, really exciting. But and, were you um, excited or did you think it was a foregone conclusion? I... <laughs> I this didn't was the think result was... we thought, right? Four sets, I thought, probably. Yeah, I, you know, I was sort of envisaging him going out in four, but the way I think the match 
prevailed to me um gave me kind of more confidence for the the future and I think Murray said to him said in his conference afterwards that although he was disappointed with the defeat I think he's been happy with the form he's been happy with how his body has holding up and I think that's been the probably one of the biggest positives this week because you know in recent in recent tournaments um in North America we've just seen him cramping um in in best of three format um really not being able to uh to kind of get it done so um yeah that was all very very promising we also had uh Karenio Buster uh, defeat Alex Dumanor real contrasting emotions on match point wasn't it with an incredible what twi- was it tweener lob on, on it was match a tweener point? lob it was a tweener lob mm. and he almost celebrated like he'd won the whole thing with it I it know. was a great <laughs> shot as well we've seen so many good shots on match point yeah, and I said, not in complete opposite fashion, just completely smashed his racket. But um, yeah, good good win for PCB in four sets, particularly in that fourth set tie break. Um, we also had Corentin Mute uh, get through to the fourth round. Now, Chris, I'm only bringing this up because Mute is a lucky loser, which has never happened, I believe, at the US Open. Uh, the last time it has happened at a Grand Slam, I think it was... Stefan Robert. Goodness. That's some around great 20, knowledge. 2013, 2014. Don't put me on the spot there, but I think it's something around that. But um, yeah, really great win uh, for him to, to come through. He called himself a lucky winner, I think. A lucky I quite winner. Like. A lucky winner. He went out to <laughs> woo in the last round of qualifying. Mm. So they've both had um, uh, good results. But I mean, if you're playing, he's playing against Casper, um, who has had a pretty, pretty long last match. So mm. is this... The question I put to you, is this the new Raducanu result where you win nine of 10 matches in New York? <laughs> well, um, you know, good point. I mean, that rude pool match was a real long one. They were just, I just think, kept just, going. just kept going and going. And then, yeah, it, for me, it was one of those matches that actually, if Casper Ruud had played this kind of like last season, I think he would have mm. he would have lost it. Um, I so agree. I think this was this is one of those matches which you point to his... His development on the tour, you know, particularly obviously getting to a, a Grand Slam final for the first time and really powering through in that fifth set was, you know, bageling, bageling Tommy Paul six love in the fifth. That for me was, you know, a great, great win for him. But yeah, there will obviously be questions with how much, uh, how much gas is left in the tank in terms. Will of Will he be legs number and- one? On the twelfth mm. of September, he's one of well, four yeah, people. Well, yeah, also that. Be. I mean, that is motivating in in itself. So uh, we'll have to see how that goes. But um, yeah, let's move on to the let's move on to the women because we had relatively more straightforward matches, didn't we? We had you know Coco Goff coming through against Madison Keys six two six three. We also had Zhang defeating Kim's favorite Rebecca Kim's favorite. Marino. The prophecy yeah. did not come true. Rebecca <laughs> Marino did not prove Kim wrong and win the US Open. Yeah. Something <laughs> we are not shocked six, about. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we also had a couple of Russians, uh, Samsonova and Kudometova coming through. Samsonova, I feel like, is in really dangerous form at the moment. 13-match win streak. She's almost rivaling Caroline Garcia in terms of confidence and momentum, I feel. Um, but yeah, some very, very good victories um, alongside Onjabor as well. Yeah, some great matches. I think uh, for me, some of the standouts, I think Coco is, although she didn't necessarily play that well, it's really impressive that you can kind of hit more uh, errors uh, than winners, but still find a way to win. And that's such a Mm. big thing that not everyone could do is not play your best, but still come through in that sort of way. But I do think, and I think Joel, you did call Kudometova kind of a dark horse of this competition mm. um, and I think it's definitely she's just so some... consistent at Grand Sams I feel or, or recently is. anyway 
She is, she is. And uh, I saw some of that and she she was striking the ball so so well and so was Sam Sonova. So I think that it's going to be tricky to to beat them. And I, and I wonder whether some of the Russians are more fired up because they haven't had a Grand Slam opportunity for mm. yeah. longer than they would have, have done previously. So maybe that's something that's inspiring Kachanov and Rublev as well. But it looked like super dialed in and um, it will take a lot to beat both of them. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be fascinating to see how that comes. There's something, you know, something we always know with Russian women's tennis, particularly the the strength in depth there. And it, it seems that you know, if if one fails, you know, two two others will succeed. And it's great to see Samsonova and Kudometova doing so well into into round four. I mean, another player who is doing well, going a little bit under the radar for me, who had a patchy kind of run up. Um, run up to the US Open on Jabor mm. came through against Shelby Rogers uh, in three Great sets match. four six six four six three six three really really entertaining um, yeah that to me might be the match that gets on Jabor start believing again because ever since you know Wimbledon where you know I think we we're all kind of talking about her as one of the the favorites and doing well but not quite able to to get it done in the end but um yeah, she's sort of faded a little bit for me since then. But it certainly feels like with the US Open, she is coming back into form at the right time. She is a big match player. I do believe that. I think mm. she's also someone who I wouldn't call like an emotional player, but someone who wears her heart on her sleeve when she plays. And we've seen her where she's been unable to bring out the best because she's not feeling her best. And so I think she talked about the heartbreak of that Wimbledon final. We all know that it was her phone background um was that was the trophy there for a while she did change it after she lost she did say but <laughs> i didn't know I, that is that true yeah it was literally the background the venus rosewater dish was literally the background of her phone which is a oh, bit wow. awkward going into her final press conference mm. um and she said she probably do you think serena williams's background was like margaret court holding up 24 trophies um <laughs> do i think that probably mm, not probably not but <laughs> maybe it's just the number 24 mm. um but no i don't i don't think that's the case but um maybe uh if she doesn't put the trophy as her background she could do really well here mm. um too much focus on it but i genuinely think it was the heartbreak from that wimbledon loss mm. that kind of took it out of her tennis for a bit because it, i think she probably should have won that match and she did get super tight so it's great to see her coming through and playing some great tennis again and it's particularly impressive on a court like this where i think a lot of people have said the balls and the court surface doesn't lend itself to a player that plays with much variety it really is about the big hitting and I think it would be great to see her continue the tournament and when she faces Kudometova I think Shelby Rogers is a good preparation for that in terms of the ball striking um, and kind of finding a way to mix up the pace and see if they can get the the Russian player off her rhythm but good to see her doing well again and I, I just just thinking about it I do think I'm uh, just thinking about the, the Grand Sams you do feel like the the US Open crowd and on Jabor that's like a match made in heaven, I think, in terms oh, it of is. you know playing up to the crowd, being an entertainer. You know the role that we you know have you know seen on Jabor live and breathe. You know since she's she's burst onto the onto the WTA tour and and perhaps yeah that that bit of inspiration um, looking towards the crowd that you may not necessarily get as much you know at Wimbledon has certainly I feel you know arguably helped her reach another level in terms of her game. Absolutely. I think it's um, a ticket that everyone wants, an Anjabur match, because mm. you know that whatever happens in that match, you're going to see some fantastic shot making. Even mm. if she loses or doesn't play that well overall, she'll hit shots that no one else can hit. And that's something that people love at the US Open. 
So maybe it is a match made in heaven. Is that a is that a prediction, Joel? <laughs> the crowd and ons. Well, maybe. Yeah, I think just give her a night session, a um, night session yeah, match. Yeah, and oh she yeah, would give her a night session. Absolutely, absolutely love it. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see if that if that happens. But uh, we're going to take a quick break now, and uh, we'll be back for our second half, where we'll be having a look back on all the action from day six, as well as previewing what's to come in round four. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to our US Open round three catch-up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we are going to move on to day six at the US Open. And it was a little bit better, wasn't it, for the Brits? Uh, only slightly better, you know. We, it could have been it worse. Was, it could have been worse. Exactly. We did have a we did have a winner, uh, Cam Norrie coming through against Holger Rune. Darren Evans did go out to Marin Cilic. Marin Cilic and his his ball, his like infinite ball bouncing uh, capabilities. But um, we'll get onto that in a sec. But uh, yeah, let's start with with Cam Norrie because he is into the round of sixteen. I think this is the first time. He uh, has ever made it um, to the round of 16 at the US Open. He's not dropped a set so far. He came through Holger Rune, 7-5, 6-4, 6-1. Rune was a little bit distracted by Cam Norrie and his serving and how close he was to the uh, how close he was to the, the serve clock um, winding down. But um, yeah, Norrie just getting on with his business. I think he admitted he didn't play that that great of tennis, but when you're able to win not playing your best with your your plan b um game that is a very promising sign isn't it going into second week of a, a grand slam yeah it's a great sign of the maturity of your game that you're able to find mm. a way to win and that's and also find a way to win which got kind of more convincing as the match went on it's one of those things where he's able to not only start to close the door but he was able to fully shut it in that third set with a 6-1 a six third set Lots of positives. I actually think that the courts really suit his game. That flat backhand um, works really well on a court where the ball does go through pretty quickly. Um, I think especially on not on the biggest courts, um, it's playing quicker. A lot of players have said this is what always happens at the US Open is that that the show courts are a bit slower. Um, So it'll be good to see how his game plays on some of the big bigger courts i think he's earned himself a spot on a bigger court and something he's talked about previously is that he doesn't often i don't get... want him on a bigger court oh because you think it won't go as well <laughs> well i just think yeah no i just think i mean i i think you know he's there are obviously bigger names still in in the draw left and again i think he's just quietly going about his business and you know for a player who reached the, the semi-finals at wimbledon yeah i don't feel like of course the the brits are, are talking a lot about him but i don't certainly don't feel a lot of other people are and as you said with his his game from the back of the court I think for me what's so impressive about it is that he is able I think to play from behind the baseline but I think he's most effective when he's on the baseline because he has such a short backswing Mm. with the double hander that um, it just is able to kind of take time away from uh, his opponents and I think Holger Rune just found it very very tricky when you know Nori was just able to assert himself on the baseline and really kind of take control um, of the points. And I think that was one of the reasons, you know, Nori kind of came through alongside Rune, I think getting distracted with, you know, his other players, you know, his opponent's service action and the timing of it, which to be honest, I don't really know what he's got to complain about because 
fair enough if if nori had been going past the you know the, the service countdown but ultimately he wasn't so i don't feel like he had any sort of leg to stand on in, in relation to his argument yeah it was a, a weird one i think it's uh, sort of I don't know if useful... he was trying to find an excuse, uh, like f- for for a defeat or something, but it was just it felt very. I think he to was. Me. I think he was genuinely annoyed by it. Um, that it was kind of right on the clock. I think he was mm. obviously distracted by the fact, like, why are you looking at the clock? Why are you not just waiting for the serve? <laughs> you know, that's what the umpire's there for. You don't have mm. to point it out; they will do it for you. And if you do think he's going over, then have that be the question. But when you're like, oh, do you think he does it on sort of purpose? Well, yeah, he does because that's how much time you have between your serves so i understand um i understand like uh why it would be an issue but it shouldn't have been an issue in this because he was sticking within the rules yeah so i mean it i think he needs to yeah is it was a non-issue it's just pointing out something that's fine um <laughs> which is i mean it's a shame it but was it does odd speak... like, it was really odd like I, do he... about that? Mm. I mean nothing so i think he needed to um Maybe he needed to vent, but I think it's part of his inexperience. And mm, he's yeah. he's been shown to have a bit of a, not a poor attitude, but not being uh, not being as kind to himself in the situation where he needs to be mm. and maybe focusing on the wrong things at the wrong times. But good for Norrie to get through and keep distracting them by being perfectly on time. <laughs> exactly. I mean, let's just talk about another Brit that was in action. Dan Evans uh, against Marin Cilic. Marin Cilic winning... Seven six six seven six two seven five. Uh, I watched the the first two sets of this match. Very very physical battle, particularly that first set tiebreak. I mean, it was, I mean that first set alone, I think, went eighty minutes plus, and uh, was really you know both both players had their opportunities. It was impressive to me how Evans at the start of the the second set was able to regroup so quickly. I think he broke Chilich straight away, but. Um, Again, it was a very yeah demanding match. Chilich such a tough nut to crack. I feel on a on a on a singles court at a Grand Slam, and even when he slightly opens the door, you always know he's going to kind of back it up. Um, you know, next point, and particularly his serve, I think, gave him a lot of kind of free points. I think he, he hit twenty six aces. Wow. And, um, you know, compared to Dan Evans, I think you know the the, the challenge for Dan was you know was basically that. When on his service games, he was, you know, he wasn't getting as many free points. Chinich was always more or less in the rally because of his return, so it made it a little bit trickier for him, I think, to to hold his serve. But um, it was still a very good performance from Dan. He, you know, he afterwards he didn't have any issues with his display. He just ultimately said, you know, Chilich, Chilich was the better player. Yeah, and I think that's um, a positive way for him to think about it, especially. I've talked about the courts quite a lot this podcast, but I think it is a case where Dan's game, it doesn't necessarily lend itself as the perfect perfect matchup in the way that Grass does, for example. So I think it was a good showing. I think with Cilic, uh, he, he, played, he played well. He does play well on, on these sort of courts and on, on a quick court. But I think the first set is so key to beating yeah. Marin Cilic. And I think when he's played against players who are um, playing well and are a bit, higher ranked and he loses that first set his head does drop and he can't always do it consistently over five um oh, well not since not for a while not since kind of his his us open triumph for example um and so i think that first set it's one of those matches that could have gone either way if those first two sets hadn't been um uh tie breaks i mean someone could have won both of them or or, or the other way around so i think there's a it's part of the game and 
Dan put in a good display and it's good to see that that Chilich is able to have a have a good run here having missed out on Wimbledon and it makes you think after his great form in 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 Paris what could he have done at Wimbledon if he's playing this well now it's um uh, one of those unanswered questions I would have liked to have seen Holger Rune versus Marin, Marin Cilic just so to see if, if Rune would have got like distracted with all the ball bouncing that, that Marin Cilic was I think he would have completely doing. lost the plot. And, yeah. and close, <laughs> I think he would have, yeah. And how close Cilic was getting to the, uh, you know, was getting to the the, the service countdown. Because yeah. it, you know, Dan Evans, you know, just didn't, you know, rise to that. But, you know, obviously a Holger Rune probably, probably would have. I've seen players who look at the shot, uh, the shot clock and they see it and they're like, oh no. And they do like a fake toss. And I don't think they're always going to hit it. <laughs> and I feel like Chilich does that like a little bit. I've seen it mm. a little bit. Uh, yeah. And there are a few players who do that when... Just to uh, buy so, a little bit more time. Yeah, because then you have enough time to prepare for your, for your next one. Um, yep. But I mean, that that is probably not the best way of going about <laughs> it. You're better to reduce your service time. But as you said, I think Holger would have enjoyed uh, that display. But um, that he wasn't playing him. He's playing someone else. And he lost either way. <laughs> so I mean... I mean, we also had uh, you know, Ilya Vashka coming through, unseeded Ilya Vashka against Lorenzo Massetti. But perhaps one of the matches of the tournament so far, Andrei Rublev defeating Denis Shapovalov in five sets, went to a championship tie break. I mean, what did you make of this match? Because for me, this was a fantastic match. Denis Shapovalov actually showing what he can do on a tennis court again to me. You know, he, he played some fantastic tennis, some you know the old Denis Shapovalov the shot making capabilities it was all on display um you know really geeing up the crowd um yeah it was impressive but yeah for Rublev as well a player who I think you know is just dropped out of the top 10 who maybe mm. is having a little going through a little bit of a, a difficult patch showing a li- bit, little bit more vulnerability again would have given him the confidence I think to be like oh you know it was a good good win for me kind of going into the second week of of flushing meadow yeah i i really enjoy rublev but i do put him in a bit of camp where he he is a hard he's a hard worker he has a certain level he can play at and i think there is a, sort of a limit to that whereas i feel like my frustration with this sort of scoreline is that with dennis i believe his talent level is higher so for me it's Pleased to see that Rublev is able to to come through a match like this because his top 10 status is really being questioned. And mm. he's never had that breakout tournament where he's won a Masters, for example, in the way that Kachanov uh, has done previously. So I think it's um, it's an unfortunate matchup because I think both of them, if they hadn't uh, have, have drawn each other, I think they could have had a good go against a, a, a top player mm. um, yeah. and had a good match out of that. But for me, it is kind of the frustration that... Dennis has had a bit of a maybe year after what we thought would be a really great year for him. Positive signs. Um, but at the end of the I mean, I would have rather fast forwarded to a final set tie break between these two because <laughs> it felt pretty inevitable as we went. Yeah, it did, didn't it? It did, didn't it? Um, but yeah, it was, you know, Rublev, Rublev coming through. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, he, as you said, he does, there are, I think there are questions on whether he is a player who, doesn't necessarily have a plan B, can beat the lower ranked players, but you know, once it gets to a certain level, isn't able to live with it. But, but who knows? Maybe the US Open is a chance where he can break out of that um that characterization. Um let's move on to the women because we had a fantastic another fantastic match between Petra Kvitova and Garbinia Muguruza, both multiple Grand Slam champions. 
Chris, I'm just going to say it now. How did Garbina Muguruza lose this match? I honestly think she's asking herself the same question. I watched mm. quite a lot of it, and every time I sort of looked away, it seemed like Kavita was back in the match. Mm. Um, Muguruza, it's such a... Sh- I, I, it was, I was torn. I think we all would like to see Muguruza do well. She's a player who should have the world. She has the game. She moves well. She's got a great serve. It's all between the ears with her. And I think it shows when you let players back into the match because Kvitova was not serving well for, I'd say, most of this match. Um, But she really, really wanted it. And she had a fearlessness to her game in those big moments. Although it was really competitive and it was a real, it was an epic. um, I think it's one of those ones, a bit like the Serena match, where she'll be thinking, if only I'd taken this point at this time, um, up in the first, up in the third. Uh, So... Great to see a tiebreak of that quality. That was really a highlight of the match for me. But it's just a shame that someone wasn't able to take those chances. And having had the match points, it's quite reminiscent of that third round match against Osaka, where who yeah. knows what, it, what could have happened for Muguruza in that yeah. tournament. And I think, I think you know, the, the season that, that Muguruza has had, I think I look at this kind of twofold in the sense that even the, the, the performances she's put in here, particularly this performance against Kvitova, I think will give her a real boost, I think, going into you know the, the last part of the season. Um, but at the same time, I think because of the, the, the matches and the defeats that she has had so far this season, I do wonder if in those big moments, you know, she just did not um, have enough confidence. Did, or... I shouldn't back herself, did she? I think you could be... No. And uh, I think Kvitova sensed that, was ready to pounce on it and, uh, you know, ultimately was able to come through in the end. And it's interesting to me that Kvitova, the US Open is her least successful Grand Slam. She's never gone past the quarterfinals at Flushing Meadows. So, um, you know, it felt a match that at times certainly was on Muguruza's plate. Um, but yeah, it's, it's again, to be fascinating to see how Kvitova gets through Azarenka as well, another player in this category of of a Grand Slam champions from yesteryear, also putting a great match together against Petra Martic. Um, what do you make of this one? Because I was so impressed with how Azarenka just, you know, took apart uh, Martic, who's quite a dangerous player. You know, she's very experienced, like Elise Cornet, who we'll, we'll get on to, uh, who faced Danielle Collins. But yeah, Azarenka coming through 6-3, 6-love against you know, what on paper felt like a very dangerous opponent. Again, very, very impressive. I was so impressed with her level. It was one of those mm. days where she was seeing it like a football and Martic was not playing badly either. And so there were lots of really big points in that match and she fought for every single point. And I think if you want to see a player who almost had like a Sharapova-like desire to win every single point, not give a single point away, and she could have easily have won that second set 6-2 but she wanted to win it six live. And mm. you saw it in her in her eyes and her gritty determination that she was not giving away any form of charity that day. It was absolutely relentless. And she I wanted think the bagel. She really did. I think she really wanted to make a big point to the rest of the draw that she may have been bageled by Radhikanu a couple of weeks before, <laughs> but now she's handing out the bagels. Mm. So it's great to I see mean, her what, play well. What do you think has changed? Because it's it's been such a short period of time, but I did genuinely not be- believe we would be talking about Victoria Azarenka being in round four, being in round really? four this year's US Open. I know that she's had great performances here before, but 
yeah, I, I this is this has caught me off guard a little bit. So I I think she's a bit of a Serena in the sense that the matches that come before a Grand Slam don't necessarily always have mm. that much of an impact. I think yeah. uh, I've never seen her play or look as underpowered as she did. I think it was like tw- in 2020 when she played Venus Williams in the first round of the top seed open. And I just thought, where did she go from here? There's not enough pace on the on the on her forehand. Her backhand wasn't firing. Her serve looked a bit dodgy. And I think it's when it clicks, it really clicks. And when it doesn't, it doesn't. We've seen her go out early in Grand Slams. Um, so let's hope that this is a clicking moment because if she plays like that, I mean, it's top tier tennis, and it's something that I think the US crowd will absolutely lap up seeing her play well again. Definitely. And we also had wins for Sabalenka, uh, the number one seed, Iga Sviontek, Karolina Pliskova as well against Belinda Bencic. But perhaps for me, one of the, you know, one of the interest, more interesting uh, matches was Danielle Collins, Elise Cornet. Danielle Collins coming through 6-4, 7-6, really tight second set tie break. Collins getting it done 13-11. I mean, Cornet is a little bit like Martic in terms of you know, has so much experience, been there, done that on the on the tour for a long time now. Um, but yeah, Danielle Collins, another player who maybe like Azarenka, just is. De- I feel like she's developing this. You know, again, this identity that she's a a big game player, and regardless of what she does in the you know the warm up events, even if you know if it's very little, it doesn't matter because. Daniel Collins again seems to be bringing the heat, and uh, I was I was instantly only thinking Jesse Pegula was going to be, you know, going into kind of week two of the of the U.S. Open um, as as America's kind of greatest hope. But the fact Daniel Collins is here, I mean, where where do you sit on the on Collins Pegula? Do you think who who are you more? Who do you think is going to go further? I just don't even think that's a question. I think in terms of um, Collins' ability, I think it far exceeds sort of the consistency mm. of Pagula. Um, Collins has worked so much on her serve. I'm going to hold just... you to that, Chris, for the rest of the tournament. I'm going to, uh, by the way. I should have learned this by now. Don't say anything too <laughs> concrete. I now understand why Joel sort of, you totally like play both sides of the fence slightly, but I'm mm. I'm not, I'm, I'm too... You're going um, all in on DC, Danielle. Going, yeah, I think, um, I, I honestly just think she's such a great player. Uh, her backhand is probably one of the best on the tour and her attitude in big moments is fantastic. And the the thing that I would say I'm so impressed by from this tournament is that she took out Osaka, a big hitter, who she had a 3-0 record against. Mm. And then she's played some tricky opponents. Cornet's very challenging and she hit through her, which is something that Raducanu couldn't do. And you have to have total belief in your shots to do that and and she really did some of the shot making was extraordinary and then she plays Sabalenka in the next round who she's also 0-3 against and so Mm. it's setting itself up for um the chance for Danielle to show that she she can beat players that can used to out hit her which I think is something she'd take a lot of confidence in but Pagula got through Danielle Collins uh put on a real show and let's look let's look forward to round four we all mm-hmm. have we have all of our matchups now across the the men's and women's draws. Let's start with the women's draws as we're, we're speaking about Danielle Collins and, and Jesse Pegula. So we've got Iga Sviontek, Yul Niemeyer um, in the in the top half, along with Kvitova versus Pegula, Azarenka Pliskova, and Danielle Collins, Arena Sabalenka. And then in the bottom half, we have Zhang versus Coco Goff. Caroline Garcia versus Alison Risk, 
Onjabor versus Kudametova and then Samsonova versus Alia Tomjanovic. I mean, where where are you? Where are your eyes drawn? Or where are your ears? Where did your ears perk <laughs> up as I went through uh, those those matchups? I'll tell you what. I was looking at this draw and thinking it's so much stronger than the Wimbledon lineup at this stage. Oh yeah. And I just and so I think I'm pretty excited for a lot of these matches. I think Savinenko and Yul Niemeyer is the is the is the common thread there. Obviously, she is the common thread, and I'm very pleased that she is where she is because. If she had had those quarterfinal points, she would have been so much higher up the ranking. So mm. it's good that I mean, she's that, getting those I mean, that makes it even more now. impressive, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. like And she took it in a positive way. And obviously, Rubikina is not necessarily feeling like the Wimbledon champion. Um, mm. And so Neymar is going to prove that she's a quarterfinalist, hopefully, uh, if, she, if she gets away against Eager. But I think that could be an interesting matchup. I think she's really striking the ball well. Uh, I think another good one will definitely be Colin Sabalenka. I hope that's the night session. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think I'm more excited about some of the quarterfinal potential matchups than the fourth round. But what about you, Joel? Who's who's got your attention? Yeah, definitely Collins Sabalenka. Yeah, I, I agree. Be noisy. In, in terms of yeah, I'm I'm sort of hoping to pencil in Garcia Goff quarterfinal. Um, I think that could, I, if that does happen for me, that could go a long way in deciding who gets to the the final from the the bottom half but um you know it, there's still some very tricky matches there um Onjabor versus Kudometova I've had to Kudometova to go quite I think I got Kudometova to get to the quarterfinals who knew so, you were such a big fan you know I know right so uh yeah and also Tom Janovic let's see if she can back up that win against Serena Williams we all know how hard it is to back up wins Against you know legends in the game, so I think uh, Sam Sonova might get it done. Yeah, yeah, I I'm I'm think I'm with you there, which is annoying because I as I say I loved I love Tom Janovic. I think she had such a great match, but yeah, can she can she keep it uh, consistent for round four? We'll have to wait and see. Um, looking at the men's side, uh, we've got Daniel Medvedev, Nick Kyrgios, Karenyo Buster versus Karen Kachanov. Davidovich Fakina versus Berrettini and then Quarantin Mute and Kasper Rude to round up the matches in the top half uh, for round four. And then in the bottom half, we have Ilya Ivashka, Yannick Sinner, Marin Cilic, Carlos Alcaraz, Cam Nori, Andre Rublev and then Francis Tiafo, Rafael Nadal. We haven't even spoken much about Rafael Nadal um, so far, given he's been on the evening sessions and, and we've not been able to because he's of the time He's been hitting himself zones. with the racket. Yeah, That's he's hit himself with a racket. You know, he's given himself a nosebleed. He's had some <laughs> nice. He's had some nice matchups. You have Richard Gasquet. I think he's now eighteen and zero against Richard Gasquet. Uh, do you know? Interesting fact for you, uh, Chris. Mm-hmm. I was reading that Djokovic has the only other. Mo- one-sided head-to-head record that is also 18 and 0 is it gael it is gael monfils very yeah. good yeah. yes um, wasn't a question but i jumped the gun there <laughs> but um yes the yeah very very easy in in the end yes the, the third set was a little bit tighter but yeah where where again where do you where are you looking at here because yeah nadal tiafo tiafo came through schwartzman relatively comfortably do you think do you think tiafo might give nadal a bit more of a run for his money uh, I don't or think no. so because I think TFO it doesn't necessarily have it's not the best closer. Um, okay. I think Nadal is is going pretty easy through this mm. first week, and I think it will be the Norrie match if if they both make it mm. there, where something could quite surprising. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. we would get a surprising result there. But I mean, I can't look past 
the only chance that I have of getting one point in collector set. <laughs> and that's Medvedev Kyrgios. Yeah. I've never wanted Kyrgios to win so badly at a yep. time when I'm probably not his biggest supporter. Um, yeah. Because I, I mean, need I've, I've got, the points. I mean, I've got Kyrgios winning this. I think, I think Kyrgios has won all of their matches on the tour in best of three, but Medvedev beat Kyrgios at the Australian Open um, this season, their only match at a Grand Slam. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where this is one that's going to go, but I, I slightly tilt, I slightly tilt the momentum at the moment towards Nick Kyrgios. I think Medvedev might get it. I think he looked really impressive in his last mm, round. Okay, but, okay, but I did predict Kyrgios win, so I'm, I'm doing mm. what you have done previously, John. I'm saying both in, in a way. <laughs> Protect my interests. Okay, okay. And any, 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 any other matches, or do you think you again looking forward to more of the the quarterfinals? I mean, Chilich Alcaraz, I think, is a classic youth versus experience guard, matchup. Oh God, new guard, yeah. Which would be, you know, I'm I'm curious to see how Alcaraz handles that situation because I think, you know, we've seen Chilich in the past at Grand Slams where he's just able to bring a level that. <laughs> no one can live with I mean, I, against I remember, Medvedev, remember yeah. that that match mm. at the French Open yes against uh, Medvedev and everyone everyone was like what is going on here um do you do you see an upset there potentially or or do you do you think do you think Alcaraz will get that done I think Carlos is playing his way into the tournament he was mm. very impressive in his last match um that will be a tight one it's definitely not yeah. going to be straight sets I think no. it might be Carlos I'll go final set fifth set tie break Ooh, that would okay. be the, I think Marin Cilic, I think Marin Cilic might might get that done there. You know, um, I think Alcaraz had a quite an easy had quite an easy match against Brooksby um, in uh, mm. in in round three. I don't know if that has prepared him as well, maybe for Cilic, apart from obviously, um, you know, in terms of time on court. But um, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how those go. We are actually going to be back uh, tomorrow, tomorrow evening. Uh, we're on double duty here for for round four so uh we're gonna be back tomorrow evening to recap all the action so far from uh yeah round four at the u.s open but before we finish chris we've got to quickly talk about non-grand slam news because we have heard the wta tour finals Mm -hmm. they do now have a venue and surprise surprise (gasps) it's not going to be in china it's going to be also in the united states it's going to be in texas in Fort Worth. So there's going to be a little kind of North American swing again uh, towards the end of the season on the on the WTA Tour. I mean, that is definitely a surprise. I did have to Google <laughs> Fort Worth. Um, I haven't checked my flights yet. Um, <laughs> but it, it's slightly closer than Guadalajara. So mm. we'll have to see. But no, I think it's um, it's good. The, the US fans are certainly bringing the excitement to tennis. And mm. I think it will be great for... The location to be somewhere where there isn't necessarily a tour stop at the moment um and it's great that it's not in china that are sticking to that mm. um san diego in october i'm not sure that's been done before we'll have to see mm. what the temperature's yeah. like and how that plays <laughs> um and a mandatory 1000 in guadalajara that might have yeah. a few injury dropouts potentially <laughs> i know that would be an interesting one i think that's quite an, you know i think that's quite smart in terms of having those two close together so i'm assuming you know players, that, yeah yeah exactly they can warm up ideally at the the wta 1000 and move over short trip over to texas so uh, we'll see how that goes it was interesting to hear i believe that 
I, I, you know, with these sorts of things, very hard to find a place with lots of tennis courts um, at that time of year with such short notice. So um, I think that was possibly one of the the reasonings for it. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see how that that goes. But um, we'll be back tomorrow for our round four catch up of the US Open. Listeners, remember to subscribe to Tennis Weekly on whatever device you listen to us on to stay up to date on all the action to come from week two at Flushing Meadows. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Follow us on social media and email the show on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. It's at Tennis Weekly Pod. Email the show at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website at www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back tomorrow at Tennis Weekly HQ. I won't be there. It will be Chris and Kim to hold the fort. I'm actually flying to Madrid tomorrow, so it won't be me. It'll be Chris and Kim for, I believe that's the first time ever. Are it you, is the first you, time. Are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you, uh, are you going to super... talk more about Rebecca Marino? Yes, exactly. I'm excited to talk about <laughs> Rebecca Marino. I'm seeing how many times I can say Rebecca Marino in one podcast. Um, everyone, Everyone's favourite. So mm. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Chris and Kim will be back tomorrow to look back on all round four action at the US Open. So I hope you can join them for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.